It's Midday Magazine for Monday, August 14th. I'm Shelby Herbert. A superior court judge sentenced a Petersburg man to serve 20 years in prison for a 2020 sexual assault. Here's more on the sentence, which was handed down at the Juneau Courthouse last Wednesday. And as a warning, this report contains descriptions of sexual assault. 43-year-old Brandon Andy Burrell was convicted of unlawful contact, criminal mischief in the third degree, and sexual assault in the second degree after a trial in Petersburg last September. Sexual assault in the second degree is a Class B felony, which Alaska state law defines as sexual contact with another person without their consent by use of force or threat. Superior Court Judge Amy Mead sentenced Burrell to 45 years in prison, with 25 suspended. At the final sentencing hearing, the state prosecutor asked for a 50-year sentence. Assistant Attorney General Bailey Wolfstead argued that a lengthy sentence was necessary to protect the community from Burrell, as well as to express its condemnation for both sexual assault and domestic violence. Burrell's attorney, Nicholas Pulaski, requested a sentence of 10 years, likening the crime to a misdemeanor domestic violence assault. He asked Judge Mead to refer the case to a three-judge sentencing panel, which is a panel of judges from around Alaska who can hear matters where the sentencing range set by a statute could be unfair to a defendant. That panel rejected the case, highlighting the severity of the injuries inflicted on the victim, making the crime more serious than had there been sexual contact without injury. They sent the case back to Judge Mead in Juneau for sentencing. She was authorized to sentence Burrell up to 99 years, in part because of his criminal history, which included six prior felonies. He was on probation for another felony conviction at the time of the 2020 offense. Burrell will be required to register annually as a sex offender for 15 years after his discharge from probation. His attorney could not be reached for comment. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. Middle and high school students in Petersburg will have a new principal this year. Brad King has decades of experience in education. For nearly 15 years, he taught social studies, drama, and German. He's been an administrator for nearly 20 years, most recently as a principal in Heidelberg and then Gustavus. The school district had a new secondary principal last year as well. Ambler Moss held the position for just a year. He and the school district agreed not to renew his contract. The district put Moss on administrative leave weeks before the end of the school year after what they called unprofessional communication with the student. The district hired Brad King in May. In announcing his hiring, Petersburg Superintendent Erica Klutplaner said, Mr. King will bring a calm, steady hand to our school and a wealth of educational experience. King spoke with KFSK's Hannah Floor about the opportunities he sees in Petersburg, the importance of getting to know all the kids personally, and teaching students to think critically. He says part of what drew him to Petersburg is the size of the school district. There's kind of a, a perfect size for a school. Some schools are so large that, that students just become a number. Yeah, and there's, they're kind of unwieldy bureaucracies. Some schools are so small that you want to make opportunities, but there's no funding, there's no size mm-hmm. to, to support that. Uh, Petersburg High School, middle school fits right in the sweet spot, I would say, of where you've got just enough to do what you want to do and not too much that, you, that it becomes impersonal. Mm-hmm. 
And to me, that's that's one of the opportunities in Petersburg. It's like, well, there's not really anything we can't do. Some things may be a little bit of a struggle, but we can we can make that effort. We can make an attempt. Yeah. And I think uh, that freedom of opportunity, the opportunity to just explore, experiment, try, is very motivating for me, you know. Do you have experiments that you're already thinking about trying out? Um, I had, uh, at one time, I had uh, started a program and worked in a program where we did uh, aviation mechanics and taught the kids how to become pilots in high school so that when they graduated from high school, they were, you know, they had their student pilot license or maybe their private pilot license if they worked really hard. And I, I think for Southeast Alaska, things like that make sense to me, you know, and then, then, you know, of course, with the fishing industries and things like that, what can you do that kind of brings that kind of hands-on experience into the school, makes it more relevant to your local population? Mm-hmm. So those kind of things I'd like to experiment with. Yeah. I'd like doing things, you know, that that are unique but but not untried. Does that make sense? Yeah. Unique for the location <laughs> but not untried. We're we're setting up in the previous district I was in. They're setting up a lot of hydroponic gardens to provide fresh vegetables year round to the schools and, oh, so, and to the community as a whole. And I like that idea too. I was just thinking about how complicated things can be for kids in high school, high school and middle school. Do you have any specific approach to helping kids through all that complication? Well, keep a smile on your face first off. Um, I think uh, one of the best ways for me and staff at the school or anybody that works through the schools, you you get to know the kids. Um, They all struggle in different ways. Everybody struggles in a different way. Everybody's unique. And so, you know, if you get to know them, at least you can sympathize and assist when they're having a struggle. And if you don't know the kids in your school, which is also a reason the huge schools get to be a bit of a problem, um, it's tough to be somebody they'll turn to and ask a question or somebody they'll look to for support. So I think uh, my best best thing to help kids with struggles is realize my door is open and I'm willing to talk about anything. I was reading an old interview that you did, I think, in the spring with the Petersburg pilot. Uh-huh. And you said something about how kids get their diplomas half asleep. I don't remember that comment. That's interesting. I said that? Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting. Um, half asleep. I wonder what I meant by that. Um, possibly sometimes students aren't challenged enough in school. That could be a possibility. Sometimes it's... Uh, sometimes it's a disadvantage not to challenge yourself uh and i would i would like to you know see the kids stretch a little bit don't take the easy class because it's the easy class take the little more difficult one because it makes you think and that's what we're in the business for is to teach you how to think not what to think but how to think and uh that's uh, that's a challenge how do you teach somebody how to think? Well, you, you, you spend a lot of time asking questions. Uh, I think you have to f- force people to delve into their own mind and come up with an answer that's more than a yes or a no. 
Um, I think uh, for social studies, particularly for what I'm experienced with, you you bring up topics that require people to weigh all the perspectives, not just assume one. Uh, I think that that's important just because it's hard for when you get out into the real world after high school and so forth uh, to make those tough decisions that you have to make as an adult if you haven't learned how to weigh more than just one perspective. you got to hear it all and take it all in before you choose your your point of view, I guess is what I'd say. But sometimes kids are a little half asleep. I guess I must have said that. That's interesting. I, I may have to reread that to see what I said there, how that came up. So. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. You bet. And congratulations on your new position. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. It's going to be fun. Good. Juno's Planning Commission has approved a conditional use permit for a new cruise ship dock. As the commission prepares to make major decisions about the future of the waterfront, city leaders hope to get more public input. Katie Anastas has more. Just three members of the public spoke at a Juno Planning Commission meeting on July 11th. All three were in favor of Huna Totem Corporation's proposal for the Juno subport, which includes a cruise ship dock, underground parking, and retail space. Assemblymember Christine Wall spoke about it at a meeting Monday night. Several of the commissioners, as well as myself, were shocked by how few members of the public were um, at the Planning Commission meeting about this topic that I know many people care deeply about. Huna Totem Corporation is calling the project Auck Landing. Norwegian Cruise Lines purchased the property in 2019 and gave it to the Alaska Native Village Corporation last August. Chief Operating Officer Fred Parity spoke to the Planning Commission. Auck Landing adds to the seawalk. It reduces congestion downtown. It fits within the five-ship limit. It accommodates shoreside power and is designed for year-round operation. The commission approved the part of the application related to the dock. But several commissioners, like Mandy Cole, wanted more details on the other proposed amenities before making a decision on the rest of the project. I have a lot of faith in the developers and the designers that they are that they will come back with a finished product that will balance the needs of this community and the needs of Hunatonum and, and serve all of those goals. Um, I just don't think that's what we have in front of us quite yet. One question Cole had was whether housing should be a required part of the project. Have you considered that housing is actually a critical piece of building out further tourism infrastructure? Joe McLean, the city's director of community development, said housing at Auck Landing would likely not meet Juno's need for affordable options. While I know housing is a crisis and we we desperately need it, um, and I know, you know, this just, this likely is not to be workforce or affordable housing in this location. It will likely be high-end waterfront property. Architect Corey Wall said there's still a lot of design work to be done. We know that we're nowhere near ready to get a building permit. We think we have probably a 12 or 18 month design process in front of us. If the Planning Commission approves the permits, it will be up to the Juno Assembly whether to lease the city-owned tidelands to Huna Totem. The commission will vote on the rest of Huna Totem's proposal on Tuesday, August 8th. In Juno, I'm Katie Anastas. 
Willow, the ConocoPhillips drilling project on the North Slope, has drawn criticism from around the country, primarily because of the climate impacts from burning the fossil fuel it would produce. Now, with a legal challenge still pending in court, even the United Nations Human Rights Council wants to get involved. Alaska Public Media's Liz Ruskin tells us more. U.N. special rapporteurs on climate change and other matters have asked the judge hearing the legal challenge for permission to file a friend-of-the-court brief in the lawsuit. U.N. rapporteurs are independent experts who do fact-finding on human rights complaints and aim to bring global condemnation to wrongdoing. They contend Willow would do a lot to aggravate the climate crisis. They are among a host of groups trying to weigh in on the lawsuit. Among them... Patagonia. The company says climate change would diminish outdoor recreation and shrink demand for their high-end gear. Proponents of Willow say the world needs oil and Alaska production is cleaner than operations overseas. Reporting from Anchorage, I'm Liz Ruskin. A recent study found that warming water and the loss of Arctic sea ice are allowing humpback whales to migrate into the Chukchi Sea. A group of researchers compiled data from scientists, local observers, and hunters. They found reports of more than 200 humpback whales spotted as far north as Point Barrow near Utkiavik. The first recorded sighting was in 2007. Previously, humpbacks had only been seen in the Bering Sea. Kate Stafford, a marine mammal biologist and an author on the paper, says humpback whales aren't the only newcomers to the Arctic. I mean, I think it indicates that the ecosystem of the Pacific Arctic is changing. I mean, it's changing enough that it's got enough prey to support things like humpback whales and fin whales and certainly killer whales. As human-caused climate change warms the Arctic, its ecosystem is rapidly transforming. Humpbacks are one example of a species that were previously found further south but are expanding their habitats into the Arctic. Stafford still has a lot of questions about this new migration, like what the humpbacks are feeding on in the Arctic and whether they may disrupt the ecosystem for existing residents, like bowhead whales. She says long term, the change is worrisome. I do find it a little bit alarming. I mean, humpback whales are doing what they need to do to make a living. But for me, it really represents the loss of this incredibly special ecosystem that is the Arctic. Stafford says to better understand why humpbacks are migrating, researchers will need more photographs of the whales being spotted up north to identify individual whales and track their movements. She says as long as the warming tread continues, humpbacks are in the Arctic to stay. Reporting for KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert. (laughs) 